started this morning, let me invite you to open up to the book of James. While you're turning there, our deacons this morning, Kelsey and Ethan, are going to be passing out um, our connection cards. You might not have seen them in a while. Um, but they'll be part of the sermon in just a, a little bit. And so if you'll hold on to those, um, I promise you they'll come back into play at one point. Um, we'll be in James this morning. Which brings me to a couple of announcements. Um, what's coming up in the future at FC Cube, specifically on stage um, with sermons and things like that. Um, so I will be leaving on the 20th to go to Europe um, for a little over a week. And so uh, in my place, um, Jake will be preaching on the 26th. Um, Jake always brings it and always does a great job. Um, so remember, though, if he does a really good job, um, that it's just once. Right? <laughs> week after week after week after week, it's uh, a little harder. <laughs> now, I do get self-conscious when Jake preaches because he does such an amazing job. Um, but that's why uh, I like to give him the opportunity to come and speak in front of him, um, in front of all of you. And so, Jake will be preaching on the 26th. When the next week, um, I'll be back from Europe on July 3rd. We'll have another Youth Sunday, okay? Um, we did this approximately a year ago, if you'll remember, and so we'll have that, and the whole service will be run by our youth, a lot of whom are graduating, and so um, we'll also hopefully have a Sunday just to pray over them as they graduate and leave for college. So July 3rd, we'll be having our youth Sunday, and then the following Sunday, July 10th, we will start a new sermon series on the book of James, and so that will be our next sermon series, going through a book of the Bible, um, being in the text, I'm excited about it. Um, we will spend, I think I'm planning on 12 weeks in James, um, and it will be a lot of fun, and there will be a lot of conviction. James is a tough one. Um, James goes straight after you and doesn't really um, hold back any punches, um, but, it, but it'll be, I think, a, a great series. I'm really looking forward to walking through it um, with you all, and so um, you can keep that in, in your mind. Um, so we'll be back eventually to this passage in James, but we'll be in James chapter 5. At the very end of the book, as we finish off our series on community, we've been talking about community in all kinds of different ways. We'll wrap it up this morning. Next week, we'll look at our vision of the church again. We'll, we'll talk about community and what we might be doing community-wise going forward, and then maybe some more areas of emphasis going forward as a church. Uh, and so we'll, we'll kind of wrap things and try to land the plane this morning. Um, if you remember, we've gone through all kinds of different spaces, um, which is just a way of talking about, it's a metaphor that's been used from architecture, about ways to belong to somebody, relationships you can have with people. We can have public relationships, and if you come to church, that's kind of a public arena, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to know one's name, that kind of a thing, but you still kind of belong because you're both at the same church, right? listening to the same well-dressed pastor. Um, there's, there's public space and there's social space, which is the small talk of relationships. It's where you get to present um, your best foot forward and get to know other people and decide whether you want to go further with them or not. It's where you, like a party, okay, or playing around, playing games with somebody. And then we've talked about personal space, personal friendships, personal community. And this is what I think we naturally think of when we think of community, Although I've tried to emphasize, there's other types of community, and they're all important. Um, just because someone has not chosen to go into a certain type of community with you or with another group of people doesn't mean they don't belong. Right? They might already have that somewhere else. 
Um, no one likes being shoved into personal space, right? We have to give opportunities and let there be environments where it can foster, but not push people towards that. Um, so we've talked about personal space. This is um, these belongings are what we might call our close friends, where we share private information and experiences and ideas and feelings and things of that nature. Um, and as we look at the text, I think we'll be um, pushed forward into thinking more about the importance of um, having a very personal community, smaller community inside of a regular church um, in order to grow as a Christian. So we pick it up in verse 13, James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faithful will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And the Brazos River grew to 60 feet high. <laughs> My brothers, 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So there's a lot happening in this passage and a lot of questions that can be asked and things that can be explored. And, and we'll do that hopefully more in depth when we are going through the book of James. For now, though, um, I want you to notice a few things. Um, notice at the beginning of this passage how James prescribes how he, his advice um, for almost every situation is to seek God uh, in prayer and in communion. Um, he says, are you suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Right? What are you feeling like today? You should pray, okay? Um, for, for James, prayer is not an option. Um, and we often, I think, fall into one or two traps. We fall into the trap where we only pray or we pray our best when we're suffering. Uh, I think that's pretty common because you're very aware of your need, right? And you have these very specific requests to bring to the Lord. Or maybe we only pray when we are doing well, when we feel like we're worthy, when life looks pretty good. And so we feel like we've got kind of a standing in front of God. Um, and I think both of these are, 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 are errors that need to be avoided, right? In all cases, we pray. In one case, we might pray with more requests and, and, and some more hurt in our voice. In another case, we pray more with thanksgiving and praise. Um, I mentioned this not too long ago uh, when we were talking about Michelle. But when he says, let him sing praise, um, again, I think this is one place where maybe we, as a church in the larger sense, have really missed out in, in that we haven't emphasized celebrating um, what God has done and the gifts that he has given us. Um, we take those for granted, and then we really struggle, right, when it seems like things aren't working out and God's not showing up the way we expected or the way that we want. Um, and, and maybe we would all be a little healthier if we didn't take a 24-hour news cycle mindset and put it towards God, where you're only looking out for the sensational and the problematic. But that instead... 
you would also be just as eager to find and grab and identify and tell people about all the good things that are happening. All the small ways God has answered a prayer or God has provided for you in your life. So if you're cheerful, sing praise. If you're sick, call for the elders, let them pray over you. So you've got this community of faith. Um, we're told to pray over the sick. Um, we're told to confess your sins to one another in, in verse 18. Uh, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, now these are two out of 58 commands in the New Testament where we have a one another command. Um, do this to one another. And so here he says, confess your sins to one another. Um, and then pray for one another that you may be healed, um, that you may be healthy. He gives our, the example of Elijah, which is very interesting. Um, and then he ends the whole book by talking about what a blessing it is when someone is able to, in a relationship, watch out for somebody else and see the cliff maybe before their friend does and gently lead them back into the fold. And he says that covers over a multitude of sins. That kind of generosity, that kind of loyalty, that kind of commitment and protection um, is, is a very important idea. Um, so, if you were to confess your sins to one another, this is something that, apart from the Catholic and Orthodox Church, that has it in a more institutional way, I don't think is really emphasized anywhere um, in the larger church. Um, you know, in, in older, more liturgical forms of worship, there'd be a time for confession. And everyone would kind of confess at the same time, out loud, kind of things they had done wrong. Not necessarily to somebody. Um, and we live in a culture where we don't confess, we hide, right? We try to put our flaws behind us and put our resume in front of us. We don't naturally lean forward with our mistakes or the things that we've done wrong. Um, and where confession... Um, makes us deal with things we otherwise wouldn't have to deal with mentally and emotionally. Um, I'm, I, I can forget about this and just pretend like it never happened or like it's not a part of me for most of my life. But, but if I have to tell someone about it, then they're going to know it's going to be a big deal. They're going to overreact. They're going to judge me. And honestly, I'm going to feel a little judged and maybe because I'm actually just thinking about the mistake I made means more now that's come out into the light, light and, and things like that. Confession's not easy, um, but it's powerful. We're told over and over in the scriptures to confess. Most of the time when we're reading the scriptures, something about confession, we think to God. Um, most of the time, it's talking about to another human being, um, which is hard, but it's the command, especially here in James. Confess to one another. Like you think about the last time you confessed a sin to somebody. Or the last time you confessed uninvited, like, or uncaught, you might say, right? We're just like, hey, I need to tell you about something, that experience that I did, and I want to walk through it and talk to you um, about this. Um, he says, pray with one another. Um, those two things, praying for one another and confessing to one another, are things that I don't think naturally happen in public space, in public relationships, um, Again, right, it's, it's, that happened to me once, the guy who came up and started confessing his addiction um, after I just met his name, right, <laughs> felt very inappropriate. Um, I don't suggest you go do that. I don't think James is telling you to go to Kroger and find some random person um, 
and tell them like, hey, I have 20 parking tickets I've never paid for. And it turns out they're a cop in a bad mood that day. Okay, you don't want to do that. Social space, I think it's inappropriate probably as well. It's going to push people away. This is something that really can only happen and happen in a healthy way with people who you're close with. People you have that trust with. People you have this personal belonging with. Um, and it's interesting as I was thinking through this uh, text and the whole um, idea of community. Um, we, we talk about these spaces or belongings, communities being separate. But in truth, they all kind of blend into one another. And what's interesting is one relationship can actually go through all of them and go back and forth. You probably experienced this, right? At one point in your life, you were very close to somebody. And they knew a lot of private information about you. But now, they're just more of a friend, more of a social friend. And when something happens, it's not the first person that pops in your mind to go share that private information with. Or it might be, but only because you had that personal relationship. So you know that trust is there, even though you don't walk in it necessarily in a personal relationship every day now. Um, I can remember lots of people that I've been close with, but then have moved, have gone on. Um, and, and now we're social or maybe public space. Um, and relationships can go back and forth. And sometimes when you're in between different spaces, making the jump from social, from friend to a close friend, it can be kind of difficult or awkward or scary and, and confusing, things of that nature. Um, so, so I want to make sure we're not pretending like these are very separate compartments, right? We just separate them for convenience of talking and thinking. Um, but in personal space with close friends, I think you have the ability to walk out obedience in some of these commands. Um, some of the other, each other commands, 58 times in the New Testament and Romans, be devoted to one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another, mark, be at peace with one another. In 1 Corinthians, wait for one another when you come to eat. It's a very specific command. Okay, um, Wait when you come together to eat. In Galatians 5, um, serve one another. Um, I don't think serve. I don't think you can serve somebody during a church service. I think you can, but I don't think it often happens. Um, when you're looking at the back of someone's head towards someone speaking at the front of the room, right? Unless their hair's a little messy and they need a little brush, okay, <laughs> just the back part, and then you might be able to serve them a little bit. Um, there we go. <laughs> don't touch each other. <laughs> See, if I did that in like a ninth grade classroom, they'd all immediately go grab each other's heads. Um, I'm not making any comments. In Galatians, we're told to bear each other's burdens, like to actually take it on our shoulders for us to feel the stress someone else doesn't. I'm not sure that's something that casually happens or that accidentally happens. Um, it's something that we have to be intentional about, something that fosters and flourishes, I think, in close community and, and personal community. Um, you can have community and it not be Christian. Right? I know lots of people who aren't Christian who have a best friend. And they get a lot of support and, and, and structure and, and healing from that relationship. Right? It's not a requirement to be a Christian. Um, so you can have community without discipleship, without following Christ. But on the flip side, I'm not so sure you can have discipleship without community. Does that make sense? I'm not so sure you can 
be a Christian on your own, or even with just loose, casual relationships, being all that you have in the body of Christ. Um, One, because I think it becomes practically impossible to actually do a lot of things we're told to do in the scriptures. And because, as I've mentioned before, if if Christians have a message of peace, um, we can't go take that to the world unless we've figured out how to do that with eight other people around us. 20 or 50 or 100, right? Um, At best, it's very disingenuous. And at worst, we have no idea what we're talking about and no idea how to help when people actually are like, okay, so how do we do this peace thing? Um, The way we grow, the way we mature is, I think, primarily a lot lot of times through um, personal community. In my own life, I can think of most of the deepest times of spiritual growth, and they've all been when I am sharing and living life with somebody or a group of people around me, um, when there are times where I confess or they confess, when there's regular prayer, when we are talking about our our problems and our challenges, and we're praising each other and celebrating success with one another. Um, I would ask you this. um, Sermons, I think, can be influential, but I'm under no impression that... um, people remember sermons, right? Um, and that was some advice I've been given and taking at heart, right? The goal when, when I give sermons, um, every now and then you might pick out something that was really interesting or really important. Um, but my goal is more about what type of person would someone be if they listened to these types of sermons for five years? Because what I found through teaching and mentoring um, people and youth is that what usually happens is not that you just tell someone, talk to somebody, and then they are all of a sudden changed. But if they're around you long enough, in four or five years, they start thinking a little bit more like you. And they kind of ask the same question that you might naturally ask. And it's not some formula they memorized or that you slapped into them, right? It's just the process of relationship. Over time, when we look at the Bible like this, when we talk honestly in public and we don't hide anything and we share our doubts and we wrestle with different options over time what does that look like what kind of person does that create um, which honestly takes a lot of pressure off of me every sermon doesn't have to be a home run I don't have to have the best phrase or Akita's idea in every sermon um, I can just try to be faithful try to try to do something solid and significant and go on to next week um I would, I would ask you if you've been a Christian for a while or been in church for a while, can you think of 10 sermons that changed your life? Can you think of the title? Probably no, probably no titles. Can you think of the passage? I can remember a few, a handful, and remember the passage it was coming out of. Can you remember the key like takeaway application? Now, I listen to sermons before my job. Before I preach, I'll, I'll do a lot of work and commentaries and, and the languages. And I'll usually listen to about three or four different people preach the same text. Um, just so I can be like, mine's so much better. <laughs> or so that I don't do any work. Just take one-fourth of each, right? You've got a sermon. It's like multiple personality sermon, but... Um, so I've listened to thousands of sermons, and most of them pretty good. I don't waste my time with people that I think 
are going to be bad. Or I'll turn it off in five minutes. Then I'm like, you're not going anywhere. This is over. I don't have time to waste listening to, to, to people I don't trust, right? Um, so I've heard lots of the best sermons that can be preached in the world. That's the other problem for small church pastors, maybe especially out in like rural areas. Um, it's hard for people. They no longer bring people, right? No one wants to go listen to Joe Bob in Nowhere, Texas. Because with one click for free, you can listen to literally the best teaching in the world. The best preachers in the world. Here's Mike Skinner, and here's these guys. And that's not being humble, right? I mean, these are just super talented, above larger-than-life people who have a way of communicating that's just the supernatural gift and have an experience and a way of understanding the text and relating to people that's just beyond what most people can do. It's not bad or good. It's just a fact. That's why they get so famous, right? Um, usually, uh, hopefully. And uh, so you can get that with a click. You can get great sermons. But I don't think sermons necessarily really change you. But if I ask you a different question about your spiritual growth and development and ask you, name me ten people who have changed your life spiritually. I think that would come a lot easier to you. And you'd have very specific stories, very specific examples. Because it's in real life, not in the ideal world. It's in the application, it's in the Wednesday night, it's in the Thursday morning. It's in iron on iron, abrasion and friction. It's with that, where things really come to a turning point. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? Am I going to love and forgive? Am I going to confess? Or am I going to turn away? Am I going to not do this? Um, And the people in our lives are often the most influential for us. Um, I did this practice and I couldn't think of ten sermons. Um, uh, I could think of ten preachers. I couldn't think of ten sermons. Um, but I listed out about 22 people who have significantly shaped my life, both in the past and right now. Um, and it's not hard for me to remember those stories. And even the sermons that I really, really liked, sometimes there's no, there's no guarantee right, that actually is going to affect your life. It's, if anyone's good at having a cute idea and keeping it in their mind, it's me, Okay. I'm guessing y'all are okay at it, too. (laughs) Just because you know something doesn't mean, right? I think we all know much more than we do. Our knowledge far outweighs our obedience. Um, But in real life, with other people, um, hopefully in those relationships, it's not about how much you can talk. It's about how you're acting. It's how people are receiving your actions. It's about how you live in peace with other people while you're acting. Um, and so this, I think, is, is the real crux and importance of having a, a personal community, having a group of close friends uh, who you can confess to, who you can pray with. Um, there are some ingredients for this. There are some things, I think, that have to go into this, or it's hard for personal community to foster. There has to be regularity. It can't be random. Another way he says there has to be time behind it. These relationships are built up over time. They take time. 
it's not like a microwave <coughs> deal. And so there needs to be, unless you work with the person or live with the person, right, you're going to have to make an effort to have some regular time to see them and interact with them, to talk with them where there's not a bunch of distractions or where you're not, not going to cancel um, every, you know, two times, every three times, every four times. Um, you need regular time. And if you think of some of your closest relationships, you'll see either that you probably did that, you set apart a time in your week or a time in your month to meet with that person or to be with that person, to hang out with them, or it was already naturally engraved in your life as a work uh, colleague or as a, a family member um, or as someone in the same Bible study or youth group or things like that, um, or as a student going to school every day. Um, you need intentionality. Um, I don't think a lot of personal community happens accidentally, especially the discipleship type. I think you can kind of accidentally become pretty close to somebody, um, but that's, that's a far different thing than becoming close to someone as a means and in a way so that you might both grow closer to Christ. Um, for that, you're going to have to try. Like, you're going to have to eventually bring up something about God or be like, hey, can we pray? And it might be awkward, right? There has to be some intentionality about it. There needs to be some kind of like, if, if not written down, maybe unwritten kind of rules. The first person who ever shaped my life spiritually, I met with him before school every morning and we prayed um, we talked about struggles, talked about what was coming on in the day, we read a little bit of the Bible, and then prayed together. Um, if that didn't happen, it was unusual. Now, there's times we just talked, or times we just prayed, or times that right, we couldn't meet, one of us was sick, or something like that. Um, but for the most part, there was a pretty intentional pattern there. Um, and that pattern fostered opportunities. Since I'm meeting with you every morning, and we're sharing our struggles... This is the time I might mention this has happened or this is going on in my life. It's a lot harder to go to somebody randomly and just confess and spill the beans, right? Um, but if you have a regular environment where there's already the expectation that this is what can occur here, it's a lot easier to go, okay, struggle time. Yeah, here we go. You probably all know it. You can see it on my face anyways. This is what's happening. Can I get some prayer, some encouragement, and some affirmation? Um, you need commitment, um, I think, which goes along with intentionality. You need honesty. You need the ability to be honest. And, and um, with honesty, I think, comes trust and vulnerability. Um, just like any close friend, you have to know that this person is safe. This is not somebody who's going to use this information against you. This is not somebody who's going to see you differently because of whatever circumstance in your life. But you both agreed to be real. I was talking to someone yesterday, actually, and, and turns out there's a human in the world who doesn't like me very much. Um, <laughs> shock. Um, and it's, it's someone I don't know very well. We've had a couple interactions, and, and one of them had to be kind of negative. I had to be kind of an authority figure. And other than that, I don't really know the person. But I, they've constructed a big picture of me and talked to a, a, a lot of people about this big picture of me. Um, and someone was telling me about it, like expecting me to get mad 
right? And I was like, I don't, I really don't care. And, and they were like, why? And I was like, well, she doesn't, one, she doesn't know me, so I don't, <laughs> I could care less what she says about me. And then two, like, I guess she thinks I hate her or something, but I really don't have negative feelings toward her. Like, we maybe I had a bad interaction, but I'm old enough to realize that you can't judge somebody by their mistake, by the one bad thing you know about them. The same way that you don't judge somebody by the one good thing you know about them. For everybody who's had a bad day, there's somebody who's had good days. For everybody who most people think are good, there are people who are gonna think you're not very good. Right, everyone's balanced. And so if I've not had multiple interactions with someone, I really have nothing to say about them. Right? Like common in the interaction, yeah, it was a little unpleasant, but I'm sure I was just as unpleasant in the encounter. Um, but I would never project that onto her whole life, uh, that kind of a thing. Um, this is key to, to close community. You have to, you have to realize that this is um, woven into the fabric, that relationship. Um, that they love you despite you, just like God. There's nothing you can do that's going to disgust them or make them walk away. They're committed to you. They love you. Um, they have your best interests at heart at all times. Um, in the church, uh, what we often call these discipleship communities, we use the word like small group, or life group, or fellowship group, or something group. I don't know. D-team, I've heard it be called. Um, Here's the secret. They all mean the same thing. Uh, I actually asked a couple different churches. You had like different. I was like, is there some philosophy that I don't know of? Like, there's been a life group and a small group. Um, I'm like, oh, no, nah, it's just a name. It's whatever we thought would appeal best to our demographic. Um, it's actually the thought process that was behind Sunday school. Um, in a lot of ways, small groups, the small group movement was meant to replace or at least at the beginning to supplement and eventually came to replace in a lot of churches um, the Sunday school uh, aspect of Sunday morning where you were in a smaller classroom with people and you knew them a little bit better. Um, one church that I, I preach at um, at least once a year is has Sunday school still. And when I go to their Sunday school rooms, it's not what I would ever imagine with Sunday school. It's like 10 people and they're studying something, but these 10 people are definitely like a subunit of community. Right? They know each other. They expect each other. Um, they, they know very specific prayer requests. Um, they have a network where they can support each other and, and all of these things. Um, so you can call it small groups <coughs> or Sunday school or life groups or whatever you have it. Um, but I think in these small communities of intentional and regular um, Christian growth, you find the fullness of what God has for us. Um, a scholar named... Or a, he was a scholar. He was, lived back around the time of the Nazi regime. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book on community called Life Together. And in it he says this, We often do not experience authentic fellowship in the church because we do not break through to authentic confession in the presence of one another. Hitting on that idea of confession again. Um, it's hard to have a real relationship with someone if they don't know some of your faults. If not just for the fact that, in the back of your mind, you can always rationalize their love for you. 
they only love me because they don't actually know about this and this and this and this and this. And if they did, they would walk away. But something powerful happens when you put your filth in front of someone and they don't flinch. They don't walk away. In fact, they might get closer. I mean, that's a big emotional breakthrough. In fact, um, the University of Texas uh, did a, a big study on confession not too long ago, um, a medical um, study, and they compared the physiological and psychological effects of confessing um, either in one's mind or to, to one's God or to another person out loud. Um, and very little happened when it was just a mental exercise. Um, but what they, were, they knew psychologically it would probably be a big breakthrough. A lot would happen if you confess to another person. They were, uns- they were not prepared for, they were surprised by the physiological effects. Um, that it actually reduces stress levels. It flushes out toxins. It actually makes you a healthier human being. Um, when we go around with secrets, this is like a pressure on our cortisol uh, releasing glands, right? We're increasing stress. We're remembering lies, right? We're paranoid about who's going to find this out or that out. And when you let one of those go, your body itself goes, oh, thank you. We can just function a little more simply now. Um, it's, it's funny in this way, you might say science is kind of catching up to the Bible. Confess to other people. Get it out there. It'll be okay. Teresa Latini says this. She's a, a theologian. Failure to be real, to be fully human, to acknowledge our sin to one another, limits not only our fellowship with each other, but also our fellowship with God. For we experience the presence of Jesus in each other. Jesus Christ lives in the present in a body, the body of Christ. He comes to us through each other. There is no way of knowing the love of Jesus in isolation from other Christians. And the confessing leads to communion with God and with each other. I've said this a lot. Um, the primary way I know that God loves me is not some idea in my mind. It's because his people actually love me. Um, I have tangible proof of it. A normal person shouldn't love me when all of this has happened, and when I've shown these sides to me. A normal person should flinch and should walk away should be disgusted but I found in the body of Christ fellow believers as they feel so accepted by God they're able to give that same love out to others and there's very little that's as powerful as showing or teaching someone about how much God loves them than being able to love them um, as the body of Christ I mean, that, that gets down deep into their soul, I think, in a way that other methods don't quite facilitate. So, um, at First Colony, we, we want to, as we wrap up the series on community, we want to have healthy environments where people can find community in all of these different spaces. Um, and, and we want to make sure that there's always opportunities for people. Um, that we're not pushing people necessarily, but there's opportunities if they want to grow in, in social um, relationships or personal relationships um, that we're intentional, we're thinking about that, that's there that doesn't have to be an accident and you don't have to go through an act of God to have it happen, right? Um, that, that 
we've thought it through, we've fostered it, we've already put the soil down in case anyone happens to like camp out here. Um, and so it's just as true as, as personal community, if not um, more so than with public and with social space. Um, so you have a connection card. We don't use this as, as often anymore for visitors. Um, on the connection card, I'd ask you to write a couple things, and then on the credenza, in the gray box, you can slip that in on the credenza. If you have a pen, if you don't, maybe you can do it later. Uh, I will also be sending an email out um, for people who maybe weren't here today uh, with a way for them to, to offer some thoughts. But on the, the connection card, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Um, I'd be interested in, if you have any, you don't need to feel forced to do this. Um, no one's going to watch you and what you do with the card. Um, if you have any thoughts on community or FCQ-specific thoughts um, that maybe you haven't shared with me or with somebody else yet, as we've been going through this series, um, I'd love to, to have that there and, and for me to be able to go through those and see them. Um, and then do you have any thoughts on personal community? Um, specifically, are you interested, is anyone interested in leading or starting a small group of sorts or joining one and and there's all kinds of ways you can do that it could just be a social group it could be a affinity group to couples uh, or males or it could be multi-generational diverse group it could be a bible study group um, it could be a prayer group it could be a mission group um, it could be a short-term curriculum type group um, so we're starting James in July, uh, and I'm planning on being in a, a group with some close friends uh, to, to meet together as we go through the book of James so that we can process it. So it's not something I'm just preaching, but something I'm also thinking about and trying to live out right, with other people. Um, if you have any interest in that, and again, not, yeah, not everyone has to have interest in that. That's okay. No one's going to be upset. Um, we want to know, and, and we want to know who might be up for maybe starting that or joining one. Um, we do have a, a couple of people in the church that have been talking with me uh, who want to, to lead uh, a couple of these. And we do already have a handful of these operating up and running. Um, and so uh, as we go forward, um, we want to make these invites more clear and, and always just ask, right? Is this something you're interested in? Is this something we can facilitate for you? Um, is there something we can do to help you with this? Um, we've learned throughout the years, um, particularly as people have grown up and had children, um, that if the church is serious about something, the church has to offer child care. We're willing to offer child care. Or pay for babysitters. I mean, we'll find a way, right? You have children. I mean, t literally, I mean, tell us. What's the problem? If you want it but it seems like you can't get it, or something's in the way... Is there anything we could move for you? Is there a check that we could write? We've got a budget for people to grow in Christ. And we think this is a pretty important way that people can grow in Christ. Um, but let us know. Give us your thoughts. Um, I'll say this as well. The, the church isn't asking. Um, as, a, as a church, you've got to be careful. <coughs> whenever you start anything or ask people to commit to something. In, in my ideal picture of someone who belongs to FCQ. They don't spend more, if much more, than two or three hours a week doing church stuff. 
which includes Sunday morning worship. Um, you can do more. So like if you're a lay leader, you'll find you're probably doing a lot more than two or three hours a week. Um, but that has the ability to burn you out really fast. Um, and in fact, I would say if, if you're so connected that you're doing like seven to 10 hours a week of church stuff, that like maybe you should consider cutting down for longevity's sake, for your health, right? Because we want you here longer. And uh, in eight years of pastoring, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Um, people just jump into too many things, and then the only solution is to leave. And I was like, we should have made it clearer. Like, there's no pressure on you to join everything or anything. Uh, and church should have a place in your life of balance, like work-life balance, work-life-church balance. Um, I know in my own life, the, the most powerful times of spiritual growth have always happened in these personal relationships, in these small groups, these small friendships, deep friendships. Um, and so as a church, I think we have no option but to be committed to at least offering this to everyone who could walk into our door at any minute, having clear paths into, maybe out of, groups like this, places where you can trade spaces, where you might meet someone publicly, and then for a couple of weeks, it's a social relationship, and then maybe in three months, it's now a personal relationship, and you find yourself growing and being challenged, and, and things are happening in your life that you've never experienced before, because you've never really opened up to another Christian like that before. Um, and so if you would, you know, jot down some comments or thoughts, um, definitely if you're interested in being a part or leading or starting one. Um, uh, I'm going forward and definitely <coughs> planning on being in one. Um, honestly, when, when I started thinking about community, um, which has been our kind of goal for the last six months, um, that was one of the things that popped out to me, was I have a lot of community that happens naturally just because I, I have to because of my job, I talk to a lot of people regularly. And it, it helps me, right? They know pretty much everything about me and they help me grow and things like that. Um, but I was thinking, man, it's been, a, it's been years since I was in like a really intentional friendship. Um, it hasn't been years since I've been in a relationship that's caused me to spiritually grow. But it's been a while since I've, I've like committed in some serious way maybe. And, and been in an intentional one. And I miss it. I think if you've ever been in something like this or experienced something like this, you realize how powerful it can be. But it's not like wasting a week of your time um, where you, because none of us have a week to waste or an hour to waste, much less a week. Um, but this one week actually like gives so much more life or one hour gives so much more life to the rest of your days and the rest of your weeks and, and things of that nature. Um, and again, maybe you already have that, right? And if so, that's great. Um, maybe you'd be willing to open that up to other people. Um, maybe you, um, that means you just aren't interested right now, right? That's fine. Um, maybe you need more social relationships because the church does need to think, and we are thinking through, how can we offer more intentional 
regular social activities, places for people to start the relationships that might turn into personal relationships and have that sense of belonging at the church. Um, so if you'll, if you wrote on the card, if you'll hand it into that great thing uh, on the credenza, that'd be awesome. I'd very much appreciate it. Again, like I said, I'll be sending out an email um, a little bit later today, probably, um, where you can do something similar to that. And then next week, we'll kind of land the whole plane and, and, and be where we said we would be in January, um, which is before July, after a lot of thinking and talking about community, with a plan going forward. <coughs> and we'll go forward with that plan, and we'll see how it works. We'll adjust things, and we'll be flexible, and we'll be creative, all of those good things. Um, and then we'll look for the next thing. What's the next thing God's calling FC Cube to address? What's the next thing God's calling FC Cube to work on and dig deep into so that we can be a healthy community in a community that reaches out into the larger community uh, around us and is able to offer life to them, <coughs> which is, after all, our mission at the church. Glorify God as we make disciples, as we make other people who follow Christ by making disciple-makers. Multiplication. Um, will you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we thank you for all of the blessings that you have um, given us. I thank you for just the opportunity that you've created in relationships for us to grow and for us to, to experience so much freedom uh, and liberation and life uh, and, and joy and, and, and peace. Uh, I pray that um, for anyone in here who's, who's never experienced that, that, that they might think deeply about trying it, giving it a good shot. Um, for those who have experienced it and don't have it right now, I pray that, that you would um, perhaps nudge them into trying to find that again. Um, I thank you for all the ways that you've given us to grow and to belong. I thank you for uh, this church. Um, this church that's taught me what God's love is like what community is like, what it means to bear someone's burdens and to pray for somebody, to serve somebody. Uh, and I pray that, that the church would never stop teaching and showing that to every single person who walks through the doors. Um, that's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs>